Hey, ladies and gentlemen, it's Andy Petronic, and welcome back to the Whole Life Podcast. I am uh, excited about our next our guest coming up today. His name is Dr. Christopher Neck, and he's a management um, professor at the Arizona State University. And uh, he's going to talk about some really cool stuff about the benefits of setbacks and how he teaches students to be resilient and to be personally responsible and accountable for their lives. It's really, really cool stuff um, to hear that a teacher who's been at it for as long as he has, I think 12 or 20 years, um, who, who gets some of the highest marks in education of any professor in the country, um, how he does it. So um, he'll be coming up a little bit later in, uh, in the podcast. But I wanted to start by uh, addressing something that uh, you, a lot of people have questions about when we're in these off-cycle periods between challenges, and that's keeping track of what they're doing. You know, one of the things that the challenge gives you that uh, you don't get when you're not in the challenge is the community, is the people that are, that are doing this with you. So I have never found a solution for community between challenges, and it's almost for me. It's almost a, it's a no. It's a benefit. It's not really a benefit, but it's 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 part of the relaxation phase of the challenge. It makes when I'm in challenge that much different from when I'm not in challenge, and that's actually a benefit to me. Um, but I still do keep track of what I'm doing, and I want to I want to tell you guys about an app that I use. It's called Productive. Um, I'm going to actually read what it says in the app store. It's called Productive Habit Tracker and Goals Reminder. I don't know if it's available for um, Android, but uh, it's one of the best habit trackers that I've found. And um, I wanted to talk about my morning routine because I use it to help me with my morning routine. And I do this whether I'm in challenge or out of challenge. Um, And it's very granular. I really like to have my morning routine down somewhere where I can't accidentally fall asleep, meaning I can't accidentally forget. Oh, I, oh, I forgot that that's in my morning routine. Um, it really helps me to have a list and it really helps me to check it off. And it really helps when I go back and actually take a look once a month at how I've done. Now, it may sound like I've done this for a long time. I've done it on and off for a long time. Um, I, I have never really found a system that I stick to for long periods of time. So uh, if, if this becomes the system, I will. you'll hear me talking about it more regularly. But uh, let me tell you about my morning routine. Um, the first thing I have on my list is no email, text, or news, or social media for the first hour after waking up. Something I'm playing with. I have that on my list so that, again, I can't forget that that's important to me. It's number one on my list, even though I can't check it off first. Then I've got some very simple things. Brush my teeth. That helps me to actually get myself feeling awake in the morning. Make coffee. I put that there not because I need the reminder, but because if I do it in that sequence, when I'm, when I'm making the coffee and then the coffee's brewing, I can drink my water, which is my next thing. So I drink at least a full glass, which is 12 ounces of water. Um, but then I also take vitamins. So usually I have 16, 17, maybe even 24 ounces of water first thing in the morning. Because um, my next thing on the list is take vitamins. Um, and then I have a, 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 
a few things that are somewhat interchangeable. I haven't decided on a particular sequence that I need to do them in or like to do them in. I, they keep kind of moving around. One is a morning shower. Um, that's probably the one I'm most inconsistent with. The purpose of the morning shower isn't to wash. It's to wake up. And what I like to do is I like to get in a nice hot shower and then within 30 seconds to a minute, turn it to cold, full cold for 30 seconds to a minute and then I'm done. And then I hop out, towel off. I'm not trying to uh, wash my body. I'm not trying to shampoo or anything else. It's literally, literally just a way to help energize me for the start of the day. And then I've got meditate, journal, read, and mobilize. Um, in no particular order, I'm, I'm uh, working on a meditation practice that is very loose. Sometimes it's three minutes. Sometimes it's 20 minutes. Um, the point for me is that I do it. Uh, journaling, I have got a pretty ingrained habit that I've developed over the years and I've got some particular questions that I've talked about before on the podcast that I ask myself each day. And sometimes I write more than other days. Just depends on the on the day, and then read. I like to read a passage out of a book that is um, this is this is morning reading. This isn't my like reading books for enjoyment's sake. So I like to read a passage out of the Daily Stoic, um, which is a um, Ryan Holiday book um, that I like. It's got he's got a different like page and a half for each day of the year. Um, I'd like to read something out of Hazelton's got a book. Hazelton is a famous recovery, alcoholic recovery center. And I can't remember the name of the book, but it's, it's something like 365 meditations. Um, that's a great one. I like to read something out of, um, and there are a couple poem books like Tao, uh, Taoist books that I will turn to and read something out of. Um, I like to have those reading materials on my Kindle because then I never have an excuse for not having it, and it's, it's on my iPhone. So I have the Kindle app on my iPhone, and I can turn to any one of those books and read something out of it. I actually like the physical experience of a regular book more than the Kindle, but I have those books on my Kindle so that I can turn to them and, and um, never be without. And then last on my list is Mobilize. Mobilize for me is a, uh, it's stretching, but it's also movement. So um, I'm, I've got a more, few different morning routines that I've played with over the years, and um, uh, I keep it can, can, can continues to evolve. Sometimes I hang upside down. Um, I've published videos with some of my morning routine, my mobilization routines in the morning. They, it usually lasts less than seven minutes, so it's not a ton of stuff. Just my, just a way to get my body rolling in the morning. So that's my list, and I keep track of it on this app called Productive, and I just share it with you now because um, I think it's valuable, and it's fun, and you can maybe glean something off it for yourself, and um, yeah, that's about it. And I don't want to forget about the fact that the Whole Life Challenge podcast is brought to you by the Whole Life Challenge. It's because of the Whole Life Challenge and your participation in the Whole Life Challenge that I can continue to deliver this content in the podcast to you. So um, we are in the middle of a pause in the on and off cycle of the challenge over the course of a year. The next challenge starts on September 16th. 
early registration is over at the end of August, which is the middle of next week. So if you know you're going to do it, do it now. Pay for it now. It's it's if you're a returning player, it's 29 bucks. If you are a new player, it's 39 bucks. Um, if you wait till after August 30th, I believe is the end of early registration, it will be $49 for everyone. So don't wait. If you know you're going to do it and you're going to jump in, make the decision now and do it now. Um, I will personally be leading a team. I will let you know the name of that team as soon as I create it, uh, in case you want to join me. And uh, yeah, September 16th is the day. And we, uh, we, we're, we're in it to win it, in it together for the following eight weeks. That's it. Let's get on to the podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Andy Petronic, and this is the Whole Life Challenge Podcast. It's the place we talk to exceptional people about the things that make them tick, exploring their life successes, lessons learned, daily habits and secrets, what helped them to get where they are, and how they stay on top of their game. This morning on the podcast, we have Dr. Chris Neck. He is a professor of management at Arizona State University. He received his PhD from, uh, also from ASU. And he's the author of 10 different books, uh, including Self-Leadership, Developing Your Personal Excellence, and a book called Fit to Lead, The Proven Eight-Week Solution for Shaping Up Your Body, Your Mind, and Your Career. That should sound a little familiar. Eight weeks, shaping up. Yeah, a little whole life challenge-y. Um, Dr. Neck repeatedly gets incredibly high marks for student satisfaction for popularity. His classes are packed. He's been doing this for 20 years. He's won numerous uh, um, pro- professor awards. I don't, know if, what, I don't know if that's the right term. <laughs> numerous awards from students as uh, like professor of the year type awards. Um, and he is, um, he, he teaches the importance of being personally responsible for your path. Your leadership comes from your own personal choices and your own personal responsibility. And he's got a, this is a really um, refreshing message in our universities today. Uh, When so very often people are not taught necessarily to take personal responsibility for themselves. And um, Dr. Neck shares a lot of his insights, his anecdotes, his stories, what he's done, um, and can offer some very practical advice on how to take responsibility for yourself and lead from the front. So uh, without further ado, I bring you Dr. Christopher Neck. And Chris Neck, welcome to the Whole Life Challenge podcast. Hello, Andy. I'm excited to be here. It's so good to finally connect with you. I, I've been I've been looking forward to this for months. Um, we we were you and I were talking before the podcast of some of the life challenges that have that have come up between our first conversation and today. So I've been anticipating this for quite some time, and it's great to finally connect with you. 
Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a big believer in timing, Andy, and I'm a big believer that things happen when they're supposed to happen. I think probably what happened is I needed to learn some more be re- to be ready for you. Uh, <laughs> I so doubt that. I, g- given given your, uh, your background and um, expertise and experience, like I can't imagine you needing to learn more before you're ready for me. Uh, I'm ready. I'm, I'm always learning. I'm always learning. Well, you know, that's, that's a really great place to start because um, the, the challenge, the whole life challenge got started as a way for, to help people in my world continue to learn and to continue to, continue to get better at improving their life. And um, I'd, I'd love to just start with having you talk a little bit about what you do. Um, you know, if you're at a cocktail party and you meet somebody for the first time, you know, what do you, they, and they say, Hey Chris, so what do you do? What do you, what do you talk about? <laughs> well, a couple of things is I hope they do that, but you know, and, and let me know Andy at any point in time, if I'm going off tangents that, that you don't want to go on, but it's interesting. I do. First of all, let me turn that around because I, whether I'm on a plane or if I'm at a cocktail party and, uh, and I'm not a big cocktail party guy, but if I'm running and meet some new runners or, or whatever, I've always asked them, what, what do you do? And, and I'll tell you why I do that. But just recently I was reading a book on, on etiquette and manners. Just, uh-huh. I saw it and thought it would be interesting to read. And the woman who wrote the book said, you should never, ever ask someone what they do. So I guess I've been being rude all these years. Hmm. Um, but but I so I disagree with that rule because to me if someone asks me what I do I take that as an ultimate sign of they're interested in me and they want to learn and that's why I do so I'll go up that's the first thing I'll do what do you do because you know I find the older I get and the more uh, quote wiser I get I finally like I know a lot about a little but there's so much that I don't know and so. You know, whether someone's a plumber or a brain surgeon or, uh, you know, a football player, I always typically learn something by asking them about what they do. And then I really another reason I ask them that is because part of what drives me is to see people who really enjoy and fire it up about what they do. It always stands out to me. And, and I want to get to know that person even more in terms of why they made the decision they did to do what they do. And so, for example, I mean, for, first of all, I want you to know I, that I'm, I'm anal about my dental hygiene, so I don't slack off on it because what I'm going to tell you is I had to have some gum surgery. And so I went to my periodontist here in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I, I, to, I wanted to kind of – to my, uh, my dentist had referred me to this person, and I just wanted to see, hey, is this the guy I want to operate on my gums? And the guy just was just all, I mean, he was so into gums. He was into gums kind of like you are into, you know, podcasts and, and I'm into teaching. He, there was nothing more important to him than my gums. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, and nothing was more important to him than making sure he, he did the surgery to his level of excellence. And, and I'm thinking, you know, there's this guy working on gums. That's the guy who I want. Right. Working on my gums that, you know, the guy fixing my car, I want the guy that I go into and says, hey, you know what? I'm going to dive into your car. I'm going to make sure that I figure out the problem and you're not driving off his lot. Did you so, ever see did you ever see Seinfeld, the Seinfeld episode where his mechanic loves his car more than Seinfeld loves his car? 
and he steals. No, I did. But he steals his car. Funny. He takes his car because <laughs> Seinfeld's not taking good enough care of his car, and that's it funny. is freaking hilarious. It just reminded me that of that. Is, well, that's the thing. That's the you guy know, you I want. tell myself. I tell my students that too. I said, you know, I don't want to come across as cocky, but you know, this is what I do. I don't fix cars. I don't, I don't do podcasts. Uh, I don't operate on brains. I teach. So I, I want this to be the best class you ever took because otherwise I need to be doing something else. And so, so the answer to your question is when I'm at a cocktail party, I want to know one, what someone does so that I can learn about them because because frankly, I, I want it to be a good use of my time and their time. I don't want to just be going somewhere and I'm, I'm wasting time talking about the, you know, how the New Orleans Saints did in football, even though I do like football. I, I want it to be more than that. Cause you I took, can, a, I you took a really interesting twist on that question. What I meant to ask you, which, which maybe I didn't ask clearly enough, was what do you do? When, how do, when somebody comes up to you at a cocktail party and asks you, what do you do? What do you say? Oh, I got you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all you. good. It's all good because I think it's a great. Yeah, I mean, okay, going to be editing out 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know funny. or not, but, uh, you know, whatever. It's it's all good. <laughs> that, that's, what do I do? Yeah, what do what you do? Like, because people, people out here in the world don't know you. You know, I know who they you are, but well, Chris Neck, you're not Oprah. You know, I'm sorry, but I you're know. not Oprah yet. So, uh, I know, I know. <laughs> or, or Donald Trump, thank God. So, you know, um, that, could, that could be, this could be, you should keep this because you know how these cell phone companies have these commercials where there's miscommunication. Totally, and how yes. So we could use it. Uh, what do I do? Well, yeah. the first, this is what I say because I, I like I like to have fun and joke around. So the first thing I say, you know, I say, really, I don't do anything. I recently won the Powerball lottery and I just hang out and they look at me like, really? When I say what I do, I say, first, I'm a teacher and I teach very, very large undergraduate student classes of management and leadership. And really focusing on the self-management and self-leadership uh, of of that uh, discipline, even though we hit upon the entire discipline, I focus on that. And then I tell them I research and I write books about that as well. I mean, in in a in a nutshell, uh, this is what I do, and I tell them I say, you know, uh, management is defined as a process of achieving goals. And typically that's that's applied to organizations. So whether you're Apple computer or Amazon.com or McDonald's, uh, your job is to achieve goals and to, and to do that well uh, for your employees and your stockholders. And that's what management is about. Now, when you talk about management at the at the individual level, you're talking about individuals accomplishing goals. And my principle and my philosophy is how can you manage employees and organizations before you manage yourself? So you got to learn how to manage yourself before you manage others. And that's what we do in my classes. We learn about how to do that at both the individual and organizational level. And, uh, and I research that and I write about it. I write books, I write textbooks. And really what I want to do is try to transfer that knowledge so that people can better themselves um, individually and running their organization. So in a nutshell, that's what I do. That's the career side of things. And But I'm also, even more important, I'm a father and a husband. And so I try to, right. I try to blend all of those together uh, because I don't 
I don't, I don't think life is where you put these aspects of your lives on the shelves. And, uh, you know, right now I'm a dad, but you know, then I'm a teacher. They all impact what I do. Yep. And, uh, I have to manage my own life from, in order to be an excellent husband and an excellent father, uh, and also to be an excellent professor and researcher. So they all blend together. I, at least I hope so, Andy. How did you get started in down this path? Cause you've been doing this a long time. I mean, some of your amazing accolades, your, your 10 years, uh, 10 year streak as a, the voted the, the top, prof- I think it's the best professor or the most popular professor. Um, I mean, you've got a, received a lot of awards. I don't even know existed for, for professorships, um, around the country. How did you get going down this route or this road of, um, your career? Well, you know, let me, let me also put in a caveat to your audience because you said I've been doing this a long, long time. I don't want your audience thinking I'm that old, (laughs) you know, that, that just, I just want to get that out there. Um, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, I'm not one of your, uh, your podcast people that are going to say, oh man, you know, I knew from day I was two, I wanted to be this and do this. Um, I was kind of fluky and I, I, I read a quote from Oprah once where she said that no one ever stumbled across something sitting down. And that quote resonated with me, uh, because that's basically how my career unfolded. Uh, I, uh, was an undergrad student at Louisiana state university, go tigers. That's where I grew up. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I was an accounting major. And what, you know, why I was I an accounting major? Well, because my brother was an accounting major, and he got a good job. It really wasn't well thought out, Andy. Uh-huh. And and kind of like the typical school, the typical eighteen year old that doesn't think a lot yeah. of things out real too well. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, it really it, it worked out beautifully for me. You know, I think right, Steve right. Jobs says, you know, when you look back and you start connecting the dots, it makes sense. Um, but. Uh, after I got out of my undergrad and I was doing some actual accounting work for some organizations, I just remember thinking, this really isn't all that fun and, and I can't see myself doing this a long time. And so uh, I remember my grandfather once gave me some advice. He said, you know, in your 20s, you might want to think about sacrifice earn- sacrificing earning for learning meaning getting the most education you can. And he wasn't a well-educated man. I just, he just really thought education was important. So I was sitting in my office one day in Houston, Texas, thinking, you know, I don't really want to be doing accounting. And so I, I picked up the phone and I called the dean of the graduate school at Louisiana State University, who I personally knew. And I only personally knew, and trust me, this sounds like a long story, but the, the dots make sense. Uh, because I was a runner and I used to run every day, uh, when I was an undergrad student at Louisiana state university on the track at at LSU. And this Dean used to run every day. So I'd see him every day and everyone else called him Dean. And I called him by his first name. You know, I was, I was 20 years old calling him by his first name because we used to basically run every day on the track. So anyway, I picked up the phone and I said, you know, Dean Williams, I'm thinking about going back to get my MBA. He says, well, just come on and you can work for me. And, uh, bam, I got in my car and I drove to LSU and a month later started my MBA during my MBA. Uh, Andy, I was a graduate assistant for another professor who got sick one night and I had to ba- I had to fill in for, him. and, you know, I guess I really wasn't supposed to be as an MBA student. So I went into his class and it was a class of undergrads for the first time. And I was green. I had never taught before. I taught a class before in my life. 
scared to death. But I remember that night like yesterday, and this was, you know, 1988 probably. Mm -hmm. And I can remember like yesterday, remember thinking, man, this is, this is wonderful. This is where I belong. And, and then, so I started after that night, I started talking to other professors and kind of seeing what they did and befriended some of them. Uh, and I just, and a couple of them encouraged me to get my PhD and I applied to places and, and, uh, Got into the, got into Arizona State University as uh, in their management program PhD uh, by the skin of my teeth actually because I didn't do very well on standardized tests but but someone believed in me mm-hmm. and that was it you know that was how that that one event of this professor getting sick and me taking over during my MBA program I mean I don't maybe I still would have become a professor but. Uh, because just really told me, hey, you know, I being in the classroom is just I felt like home, so to speak. And, right, right. and then when I got my Ph.D. and I learned more about, you know, how much research was important to the to being a professor is not only teaching, but that's how I kind of got into it. And uh, and then when I started teaching as a doctoral student and later in my first job at Virginia Tech, um, I just I was on a mission to try to constantly and still am trying to think of how can I make class fun for me, fun for all my students in a way that they remember the material Mm -hmm. and I connect with them. And and that's that's where I spend so much of my time is trying to think of how I can creatively connect with my students. And I typically teach undergrads because I like teaching the younger group of people because it keeps me young. And I also think it, you know, it gives me an audience. I teach really large classes. Um, like this semester, I have about a thousand students in my classes. Wow. Uh, wow. It gives me the chance to touch uh, and maybe connect with a lot of people. You know, there are going right. to be some people that don't, that don't connect with my message, but the harder I try, the, the greater the chance I have. But and, and what, I hope when that you answers say, your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you say what your message, what is your message? What, if, what, if, what do you want someone to come away from having taken your class? What's the message? Well, I'm, I'm instructed by Arizona State University's business school is to teach the field of management. It's an introductory to management course. So I want them to have the body of knowledge, you know, the, the academic research. I want them to have that. But I want my message is is to deliver that in a way, in a creative way that they see relevance to it, that they can use today, not two years from now, not five years from now, but today in their lives, managing themselves, but also now if they're, if they're running companies or down the line, if they're running companies, that's what I want them to do. So I want them to have the knowledge, but to be able to be, uh, to be able to use it now and to also Andy, to be, Part of my job is to excite them to want to learn more because if they just leave my class and say, oh, that's it, then I haven't done my job. I want this to present the material where they say, you know, I want to I want to read more about leadership. I want to know more about management, because, as you know, in every field, it's always growing and there's always, you know, it's always changing. And so that's really my job is to do that. To, to present the material in an engaging way so that, and in a relevant way so they see relevance today and also to excite them to continue their learning. I know that may sound like a Chevrolet infomercial, but I really believe that. And uh, it takes, you know, 
you, you got to be always be working because, you know, I'm, I'm always getting older and most of my students typically are 18 to 22. I've got to and occasionally, you know, there's different age groups, but that's the primary base. I've got to always be thinking, how can I make this material relevant to uh, to them? And well, so that's that's kind of how I see my message. And it's really interesting, you know, given the the um, the world conversation or at least the United States, the, the conversation about millennials, um, you're, you know, you're working with them every day. Um, and I'm just curious how, how you see kind of where they are in their life and then how you get them to, how you instill in them these general principles that, 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 that I know that you're, you're going to work on instilling in them, whether it's self leadership and self management to organizational leadership and management. I mean, how are you inspiring them to, be the responsible leaders of, of the future for our, for us of today and the future for us? Well, well, you know, that's a great question because, you know, I, I get, um, I hear that a lot in this thing, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, I think the media creates so much of our world and you probably saw that in it, you know, not to get into politics, but I think we saw that with the presidential election is that the media creates the world. This is the way it is. And then, you know, maybe there's a whole nother world out there. And, and so my, my point is, is that, and when, and I'm not talking about it from a political perspective, one way or another, I'm talking about it from a scientific, if you're viewing it as a scientist and saying, okay, what's going on right now? And in my chat, my point is, is this, is that I, you know, when you talk about millennials or generation X or baby boomers, well, yeah, I think when you look at a whole, there are some differences, but among among the groups. And right now we're looking at millennials, but you know, it kind of reminds me of the of the story of of. And here comes my tan. No, here comes another Chris Neck tangent, but I think it's relevant. Uh, it reminds me of the story of of Dr. Seuss, you know, the the renowned children's author. And the the story is that when his when his publisher approached him. Uh, to or and he approached the publisher to write a children's book. You know, he came back with something, and the publisher said, "No, way too long. If you want to write a children's book, here's the deal: it has to be 50 words or less. You know, 50 words or less. Who ever heard a book or 50 words or less? Mm-hmm. And so he he took it, and that was his constraint: 50 words or less. And because of that constraint. If he wouldn't have had that constraint, he wouldn't have come up with green eggs and ham. Yeah. But because he had that constraint, he came up with the book Green Eggs and Ham, you know, one of the best-selling books, children's books of all time. Right. And, and I always think of that story and, and when I think of constraints on my life, whether it's time or money or, or, or expertise, you know, I think of it in terms of the constraint I have, maybe the, the age group of kids that I have, you know, right now we're dealing with millennials and that's the constraint I'm dealing with. So do I say, you know, what the media tells me to say, Oh, they're millennials, you know, they, they're lazy or they don't care or they make excuses or they need to be coddled. Well, the way I look at it is, okay, that's my canvas. That's the constraints. Let me, let me look at these group of kids or young adults as a whole. What are typically some of the traits associated with them? Well, there's, there's some very positive and there's also more negative traits. The positive traits are 
they tend to be in seeking purpose. They're more into less into salary and more into making a difference, which I think is a pretty awesome thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of the things that are lacking because a lot of them grew up with everybody gets a trophy and there's not, there's, there's not as much accountability. Oh, I need to make sure I fit that into the class as much as possible when I'm teaching the subject material. So let me give you, let me give you an example. Let me operationalize that for you. Um, you know, I, the, a lot of the kids, a lot of, I say kids, but I'm meaning young adults. I'm just much older than they are. Much of the young adults who I teach, they grew up, they're born with an iPhone in their hand. Right. So they are used to always having multimedia at their hands. Well, I have a rule in my classes. There are no laptops. Mm -hmm. There's no electronics. You can have a cell phone, but it has to be flat on your desk. And I prefer you not be using it. And well, you know, the, they, a lot of them rebel at that at first. You know what? I got to take notes with a pen and pencil. But when I explain it to them that the research shows that if you take notes with a pen and pencil, you're going to comprehend the material much more than if you're just transcribing on your laptop. They, they come around. They say, OK, well, OK, I get it. And so I have look, there is no there's 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 no electronics and so maybe for the first times in their lives they're being told you cannot have electronics but they're also seeing that that's the rule and i have a reason for the rule and they've got you know that's in and i'm you know i'm the teacher i'm the professor and i make the rules another thing that i do is accountability and so i find a lot of the students and i find this is different from millennials and say uh, students in, in, that i've taught in the past andy is that Regardless of the, the, the regardless of the decision you make, there's going to be a consequence. There, you know, you can't. There, there's always going to be a consequence. And I find that a lot of these students grew up where there was there weren't consequences. And let me let me give you an example. So let's say, for example, they they miss a class because their grandmother is ill, and they have to make a con they have to make a choice. They come to class. Or they go visit, they go spend time with their grandmother. But either way, there's going to be a consequence because if they miss the class, they've got to make it up. They've got to get the notes from someone. I don't put notes on, 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 you know, for everyone. I don't give out notes. I don't put up PowerPoint slides. That's coddling students in my mind. They got to be there. Mm -hmm. But if they're not there, they've got to get the notes from someone else. Uh, and then they can ask me questions. But if they come to class and then they don't go spend time with their grandma, then they got to they got to make that up with their grandma somehow. Right, right. My point is, is that just because they go visit their sick grandma doesn't mean I'm going to reteach the class to them. Right. If they because in the real world is if their grandma's sick and they miss a day at work, their boss isn't going to go over the day for themselves. But, you know, because they had to go visit their grandma. And so what I'm getting at is they have to learn that there are choices that they make. If I choose to not go to an important function at ASU related to my career because my kids are sick, well, I'm making that choice because my kids are very important to me, but I'm going to have to suffer that issue at work and I'm going to have to figure out how to repair that damage. And so my point is, is that, yes, uh, there are some differences in age groups. But I think you have to view those as kind of as Dr. Seuss viewed those 50 words. I got to use them to my advantage. 
And the advantage is there's some really great things related to this group of people coming out that are classified as millennials in in terms of a sense of purpose and wanting to make a difference. And I got to build upon that to connect with them. It sounds like what you're, it sounds like what you're teaching some, somewhere in this is, is some level of personal responsibility and personal accountability. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And I probably would do that to any level, any generation, but, you know, maybe have to work a little bit harder uh, with this particular level. But that's, you know, that's always a challenge. I mean, isn't that the first rule of public speaking? Know your audience and, uh, you know, just know your audience and not let that be an excuse to me connecting. Well, because isn't Uh, that isn't that a trait that you're that you're trying to instill like you're you're both teaching them by example of how to conduct themselves in class, but you're also teaching them, teaching that as a skill, a life skill that applies to business management, right? It applies to price to their, it applies to their self-management. So like, it's a double, it's a double lesson. I, I, the kind of way I'm seeing it. Um, no, and you're exactly right. And that's, and that's part of the reason why I still, I tell students, you know, being here is as, is as important as reading the material in the chapter, because, you know, if you just, you know, think you're going to master the class by reading the materials in the books and not coming to class. Uh, this is not an online class and this is not a correspondence course because so much of what we do is the process of the class. And you're exactly right. Um, it's it's uh, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like um, uh, hitting the fundamentals, but from a, a number of different angles. Yeah. Here's the material. Here's the way we conduct the class. Here's the way that we interact with each other. And you're exactly right. You're, you're exactly right. What do you see as the fundamentals like right, right now in the classes that you're teaching? Like what, what are you hoping that they leave with as a, as a foundation for their, their themselves in their life and, and, or in their, in their business life? Oh God, man, that's a loaded question. I mean, if I, you know, if you narrowed it down, uh, in terms of what I teach, the fundamentals really are, and then we could break, even break down the fundamentals and that's how we do the class. But the fundamentals are first, you have to be able to know the processes involved with leading and managing yourself. Second, you need to know, given that, how do you transfer that knowledge of managing and leading yourself to managing others? And then beyond that is once you've done that, how do you take that in terms of being able to uh, make a, a contribution to the to the organization or community or society in which you involved? So it's really a three prong level. Hmm. Now, if we take the aspect of, of how do you go about leading yourself? Well, you know, that's where you can send your readers the link to my book on self-leadership. That makes a great Christmas gift. I'm, I'm just kidding. Awesome <laughs> book, but, uh, Don't worry. Well, uh, they'll have the know, show notes. They'll have all the links. Yeah, yeah no, no, I'm, no, I'm not selling anything here. <laughs> I just want to have fun and share my thoughts and knowledge with you. And I hope you benefit from it. So I hope you just didn't turn off the dial right then. Um, uh, really, I mean, really, those are the three fundamentals is to manage yourself, manage others, and then really the channel both of those to making some kind of unique contribution, having some purpose to it, to meaning it all. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I don't know that many people out there consider lead, when they think of leadership or they think of management, that they think of leading themselves. 
Like, I don't, I don't, I just don't know that that's a normal concept. Like when you first no, said not. that, yeah, when yeah. you first said that it wasn't, it wasn't natural to, for me to think, oh, you're teaching business management or business leadership. And the, 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 the idea that you're teaching self-leadership is really cool um, and different sounding to me. Um, what are the, what are the fundamentals of self-leadership? Like, do you have categories that, that the different things you teach fall under? Are they physical? Are they, are they spiritual? Are they mental? Like, what are those things that you're, you're, you're teaching? Man, you hit, it's almost like I set up the question for you in terms of really defining the concept. But, but if you step back, if you think about the principle of the philosophy, philosophy from a business standpoint, Andy, you know, typically when you talk about leadership, uh, well, let's define leadership. Let's make it simple. I'm from Louisiana, so I need things explained very simply to me to understand. Uh, and any Louisianas listen there, I'm just making fun of myself because, uh, we both, we, uh, I'm only joking, but people, uh, typically uh, joke about people from Louisiana, so I can joke about myself. Uh, but if you think about the definition, quite simply in what I do in my research and my teaching as I define leadership is a process of influence. And we try to complicate the word. I mean, if you go into Google, a Google Scholar and type in leader or leadership, you'll get so much. I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a cornucopia. It's a, a myriad of, of of citations. And it's just really, really confusing. And, and that doesn't really help anyone lead anyone. So if you really bring it to a real simple level, leadership, and I define it as a process of influence. So typically when we use that word or that definition of process of influence, most people think as you did, that there is this leader figure and there are these people who are followers and the leaders doing something to influence those yep. people. And, and, that, and that's a big part of leadership. But if you think about it, well, what if we looked at, quote, those, quote, followers and we said, what if we taught them or to effectively lead themselves within an organization towards individual, towards departmental, towards organizational level goals – that would really free up that, quote, leader figure to do much more higher level strategic thinking. So mm -hmm. it, from a from a just a logical sense, it seems like a pretty good thing because you're really freeing up that the, the leaders in the organization, at least the legit, the designated ones on an organizational chart. So the question becomes is, OK, if we're going to buy that premise and we're talking about these people leading themselves, what does that mean? Well, I've that's what I've spent the last 25 years doing is researching and writing about what are the behavior. And you, you hit it on the head. There's really four key areas of self-leadership. One, it's the behavioral uh, aspects of it. There's the mental or cognitive aspects of it. There are the emotional aspects of leading yourself as well as the spiritual. So really hit in four dimensions. And I'll give some real simple examples. The behavioral aspects of self-leadership would be something like observing your behaviors and, and, and what works and what doesn't, how do you change them, maybe delaying gratification uh, in certain instances so that you do achieve your goals. The mental ones would be looking at the, you know, the patterns in the way that you think or, or your self-taught. You know, what are some of the things that you're telling yourself that are preventing you from achieving your goals? The spiritual ones would be more the higher level, purposeful driven uh, processes. You know, 
now I, in terms of what you're doing, what's the underlying foundation? Are you doing it to make money? Are you doing it to make a difference? What, what is the source of your, of your behaviors? Because that's really going to drive your long-term motivation. And then the final one is the emotional ones is that, you know, we all feel negative emotions throughout the day, whether it's anxiety, stress, happiness, let's look at the emotions we're feeling and let's see, let's, let's understand that we're oftentimes the cause of these emotions. They're not things that just happen to us and let's try to, and if we cause them, let's see what we're doing so that most of the day that we can be experiencing positive emotions to drive our behavior instead of having just being a victim and suffering from negative emotions such as stress or anxiety and letting them control us. Now that's in a nutshell, the four big areas of self-leadership, but it is a process and it's a process that people can learn to do. Do you have um, specific uh, what's the word? I guess I guess specific actions that you encourage your students to take when they're taking your class that help them um, uh, I don't know bump into things that would that help them along this process, like take on a workout program or take on a um, you know I don't know what the kinds of things are. Like what do you do you do you use physical um, I don't know. Does that make sense? Does that question make sense? Am I being clear enough? I, I think it does. Well, this may not be what you're getting at, but I do, you know, I make them pick some, some type of improvement activity. I say, okay, we have a project where we say, hey, I want you to focus on some area of your life you want to improve. It could be business-wise. You know, you want to be, get a rate, you want to uh, get a promotion. It could be personal. You want to improve a relationship with your partner. It could be, you know, you want to start a workout program, whatever it may be. And so, and they do that because after I've taught them these four and they've read these four areas of self-leadership, they have to apply uh, many of these areas, as many as possible to that plan and show how they execute it. So there's like a baseline, they apply the theory, and then what happened? Hmm, so that's cool. that's a force thing. So they have to do, they have to have some 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 type of self improvement plan, and it's over the entire semester. And then they have to show you know what were the results. Now the results you know they only have three three months or so to right. execute the plan. But absolutely, and and that gets into my my uh, model or philosophy of education from a micro perspective as well as macro perspective. In every class, I have a portion where there is theory uh, and then that's followed by application. I always help force in some kind of way the students to apply the material to their lives because if they don't do it, they're going to forget it. They're going to forget it after the test. They're going to memorize it and yep. it's gone. And in that, that in a dollar fifty will buy you a 20 ounce diet Mountain Dew at the convenience store. If you only have theory, theory in itself is, you know, is not going to get you, you need more. So you have to apply it. You know, you get things like I'm, uh, I'm trying to lose weight or I'm trying to, um, you know, learn how to play the piano or I'm trying to start my own business. I get that a lot. And that's what you find with the millennials. Getting back to your other questions, students that say 15 years ago, 
I have a lot more students starting their own businesses now than I if in the 18 to 22 year old group than I did 15 years ago. Uh, ago, and I think that's part of the millennial generation. You know, they, they don't want a, a corporate job; they mm-hmm. want to start their own thing because they grew up watching, you know, the founder of Facebook wearing hoodies, you right, know, to the right. office, and that's what they want. So um, I don't know if that answered your question or not, but I do have a you know a definite intervention in my classes where they have to apply the self leadership knowledge. So hopefully they've learned it. Well, let me ask you a question um, that applies more directly to your life. How do you model this for them? Like, do you bring in your life and you kind of, or do you, do you just do this automatically in your life? It doesn't really matter what you do in the classroom. I'm just curious, do you, do you um, follow these guidelines for your own life? Uh, Yeah. You know, and and maybe I, I, as I tell them, I said, you know, you might get tired of hearing about me, but I'll use examples in class about me and my family, uh, whether we're talking about communication, whether we're talking about leadership, whether we're talking about power, uh, because my fan, you know, as I said to you earlier, and I practice this in my life and I tell my students this, I don't put different parts of my life on hold when I'm in the classroom. I'm not just a professor. I'm still a husband and a father. And so, for example, a lot of times, you know, I'll teach in, in workout clubs and, uh, and, and I'll tell them, I said, you know, I'm in workout clothes today because, or I'm in right now is because I only have 45 minutes, uh, between, my last class and the meeting I'm going to. And if I, if I have to go change before I go for a run, uh, I'm not going to have enough time. And right. so right. that's why I'm in workout clothes. So they, they see, you know, and I'll tell them, I say, you know, um, I want you in class and I want you, even if you're 75%, I want you in class. You don't have to be a hundred percent to be in class because there'll be nights that I'm up all night because my kids are sick and I'm still going to be here. Now, if I said, man, I'm not 100 percent, I stay at home. And so I try to model. And when we're talking, I'll give you an example. Um, we were talking about uh, today in class earlier today, we were talking about uh, motivation and self-leadership strategies to overcome motivation. And, and one of the things we're talking about is just getting started. You know, any activity you have and I, I give them the two minute rule. Just start. Don't wait. You know, don't wait for that that time where you you feel 100 percent. Most activities you're not going to feel like doing right away, whether it's working out or if you're writing a book or writing a paper. I said a two minute rule. Then I gave them an example. I said, you know, this morning at 4 a.m. my alarm goes off and I did not want to get on the treadmill. I just wanted to sleep. But, but I told myself, just get up, get the shoes on, get on the treadmill and then see how you feel. And sure enough, after two minutes, I'm on, I'm listening to ESPN, I'm getting my miles in, I'm getting ready for the day. And, you know, I absolutely, I'm trying to model it and see it. And I really do think that makes a difference because, you know, if I'm talking, it's, it's, it's kind of like going to the doctor and the doctor's telling you, you need to lose weight, but the doctor's, you know, a hundred pounds overweight. There's a mixed message there. And, uh, I try to practice, self-leadership. And, and, and I also tell them, I show them the bad too. You know, if there's a day that I didn't go, you know, I also say, you know, there are days where I get up and I hit the alarm and I don't beat myself up later that day. I just say, look, you know, I missed that opportunity because my 50 words to get back to the Dr. Seuss example is 
I know that time in the morning, given my day and my schedule, was the time for me to run. And I blew it. I didn't get it done. And I know how I felt later. So what I tell myself is, okay, I messed up. And I tell the students, you know, I didn't, I didn't do it today. And because of it, I might not be as energetic in class. And I'm going to see it. So the next time when I want to hit that alarm, I'm going to go, you know, it's more important that I go do it. And so th- I, they need to see both. That, you know, being a self-leader doesn't mean you always practice positive self-leadership. It can be negative, but it's really just learning from those days that you are an effective self-leader and saying, how can you improve upon it? And that's really the number one uh, part of self-leadership. The foundation is self-observation. It's always observing yourself, what works, what doesn't, taking the time to really examine your life. And if that's really the foundation, I, 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 I illustrate that in the class, Andy. I give everyone an apple. I, I and it's it's you know I buy the little ones because I got you know a thousand students, so it's kind of expensive. That's a lot of apples. I buy yeah. a whole. How do you like? How do you like them apples? That's a lot of them apples. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of apples. So I have everyone and get this. Here's a generation of kids growing up with multimedia. I make them look in an apple for 10 minutes and they fight it. Oh my gosh, they fight it. And they don't want to look at it. They want to talk. And I make No, oh, no conversation. It's apple. like the room's quiet. No They're just sitting looking at the apple. Wow. You got to look at it and you got to write down anything unique that you see about the apple. And so we do that. And the point of the story is, and then we all come together and they share what they see about the apple. It's not completely red. It's not completely round. It looks like this. It has bumps. And I go, you know, you probably most of you see an apple every day. But how many of you have ever taken the time to really look at an apple? And the parallel there is their own lives. I say, you know, you spend 24-7 with yourself. But how many of you really stop and say, hey, this is what's working. This is what's not. These are some things I need to change. And that's really the foundation of self-leadership, whether you're leading yourself on the job or at home. If you don't take the time to examine what you believe, what you think, how you behave, uh, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to change what you did. How, um, given that that's the premise and, you know, and I get it, I totally get it. And I, 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 I believe the same thing. Um, but how do you, you know, I think the da- there's a danger, there's an inherent danger in observing and observing and, and you know, I use the words, word judging, kind of what you're doing, whether it's a good judgment or negative judgment. How do you keep people or your students or yourself from falling into a negative pattern around, you know, wow, nothing's working um, um, or you know, like into that self judgment that I think is so easy to fall into when you're constantly in the habit of, of examining and observing yourself. Well, let let me try to help make sure I understand your, your, your question clearly. So you're saying, how do you fall in the habit of not examining yourself, but beating yourself up? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're constantly observing your, your life and I think, um, most of us tend to see the things we lack rather than the things we're necessarily good at. Um, so I think the tendency when you're observing yourself, at least my tendency when I observe myself is to, I'll, I'll, I'll see, well, wow, I really suck at that or really this didn't really work or, 
you know, how do you prevent the judgment of those things and the judge, the self judgment from taking you down a path that, that does, is not productive, doesn't move you forward? I'm going to answer, I'm going to answer that. But first of all, uh, my, uh, fan clicked on in my room. I want to make sure it's not impacting the sound. Nope. It's all good. good. It's all good. All right. Well, a couple of things when you're talking, it makes me think of, uh, and I've got a wonderful wife, um, and she, we're, we have our own unique skills and differences. So I don't want this to come across as I, I'm, I'm criticizing my wife, but we've kind of reached common ground because my wife always wants to be video, video uh, taping something. So if like we're at my daughter's uh, dance rehearsal or my son's uh, school event, let's let's get it on video. Mm-hmm. Or if there's this great sunset, let's take a picture. Where I'm finding it, I don't want that. I want it just to observe it. Yep. You know, I, I don't want the aspect of taking a picture of it because that get that takes me away from being in the moment, yep. so to speak. And my and I bring that up is because. When I'm saying examining your life, I'm not saying, you know, not live your life and you're always kind of watching yourself because then you're not really completely in your life. You know, there are times where self-observation is good. Reflection. I'm saying have time for reflection, but it's not a 24-7. Okay, I'm doing this. Okay, is this right? Is this wrong? So I want to get that across when we're talking about self-observation. And so and the other thing is a big part of of self-observation and self-leadership is viewing, you know, is, is viewing, uh, stimuli or viewing maybe deficiencies in, in a positive way. So, you know, if you're, if you're examining yourself and you're seeing something is a weakness, uh, you know, maybe you, maybe it's not a weakness. Maybe you can turn it into a strength. Um, you know, for example, I'm not, uh, very, uh, uh, how, how to say it. Uh, I'm not the most, um, social person. Like I, I don't really love events, cocktail parties, or I, I'm very reclusive by nature. I could live on an Island and, and see my family and, and, and I'd be good. Um, uh, but I also, so that that could be a weakness or a strength. It could be a weakness because you can tend to be aloof. People can view you as, as not, you know, being, uh, liking them and those kind of things. And so I use that as a motivator to, at, for example, at cocktail parties or other things to really put myself out there. So I know I'm always trying to take advantage of those opportunities because I know that is a quote weakness about me. And I can use that to actually get to know more and more people. I don't know if that's making sense. Um, and so, you know, there's, a weakness in itself is not a weakness. So I, I guess trying to answer your question in the best way manner is that, you know, you have to observe, observe your, yourself and realize, you know, we all have our strengths, that things that we're really unique and good at, good at, and other things that, you know, other people are better and that's okay. I mean, that's part of self-leadership is taking what you're really good at, really have the potential to be good at and using that to, to make a difference, not trying to uh, find out all your potential weaknesses and try to get good at those. And if you think about, you know, if you look at the research on strengths, it really fits into that. You know, the old school of thought was, you know, let's find out, uh, let's find out what you're not very good at and spend a whole lot of time uh, improving that. And, and that just makes you average. 
But if you find out what you're good at and really spend a whole lot of time perfecting that, then no one's going to touch you. You're going to be better than most people. Um, and so I, I, I want to make sure that comes across loud and clear is that self-leadership is not about you know, identifying your weaknesses and beating yourself up over them. That's not it at all. That's right. not what the self-leadership is about. Yeah, I just I think it's somewhat human nature to um, to judge, you know, and I think it's very easy to get stuck in that pattern. It's good. It's I mean, I, I totally I totally get what you're Absolutely. saying that, that that's not the intention. It's the intention is to yeah. use what you learn about yourself as a way to raise your game or to, you know, practice the things that you're not so good at or to improve the things you're already good at. Um, but I think it's a, it's a, I think it's a very human thing to fall into kind of negative, negative patterns. And it's, and it's well, easy and that's part of, that's part. Oh, absolutely. And that's part of the mental aspect of self-leadership is looking at the negative patterns in your thinking. So interesting enough, what you're saying is actually a part of self-leadership. So if you're constantly if your self-talk about yourself is, oh, I should be better, or why am I not good enough at this, or I'll never be as good as Susie, that, that is a negative pattern mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't accomplish anything. So that's part of it. If, if over time you see yourself constantly falling into a negative pattern of self-dialogue, then you need to change that. Um, so that is actually a part of it. And, and we typically – Parallels are, parallel ourselves. We typically uh, we typically restrict what, what we achieve in life because of that pattern. So, it, and it is a habit that's easy to fall into, but you have to break it. And one way to figure find out is is to use your emotions. So, if you're not under, if you're not cognizant of what you're telling yourself uh, and what you're thinking is, go backwards. Think about a time or the next time you're feeling lonely, anxious, stressed, sad, stop. Because that is a great clue to tell you you are thinking something dysfunctional or negatively. Usually the emotion you can't you, emotions give it away. So if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling anxious, stop. What are you telling yourself? Usually it's something negative. So if over time if every time you stop yourself when you're feeling a negative emotion, I can almost guarantee you, you'll start seeing a pattern that you're, you're, uh, doing thinking in a negative way. So let's say for example, in the next week, Andy, every time you're stressed, you're stopped yourself and you say, what am I thinking? Well, you're probably thinking something negatively. I'm thinking you're thinking, Oh, I've got to accomplish all of this. And I have a very limited time. Uh, there's no way I can do it or uh, this is not going to be good enough. It has to be perfect. Something along those lines mm -hmm. and your emotions will trigger it. Your emotions will be a great excuse or a great flag for that. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, um, the question then is what to do with it. You know, like, because, <laughs> because uh, I think we all get stuck in that. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, we're in the process of finding a house helper for, for our, our, our household, and, um, um, God, we had, we've been lucky to have someone working for us for the past eight years, which has been great, but, um, it's not so easy. It's not so easy to find the right person. It's not so easy to know where to even look to find the right person. And, um, okay. So let's take that example. So what are you doing? What do you feel? Are you feeling anxiousness because yeah, of that? Yeah. Because are our, because our house, you know, the things that are normally, cause my wife, wife and wife and I both work full time. 
So, um, you know, the things that are normally taken care of aren't necessarily taken care of, you know, whether it's laundry or, um, or, you know, prep for dinner or, you know, food in the food in the refrigerator, you know? So, um, it's, uh, and, and then there, so there's that stress and then there's the stress of, well, how are we going to find someone, you know, and then what's the right person that we do, you know, who is the right person? Um, how long is it? There's just a lot of things. All right. So, so think about it. What you just told me, uh, we need to have the refrigerator. So we lost our house helper. We need to have the refrigerator stock. We have all of this, uh, two, how are we going to find someone? We're never going to find someone as good as, yeah, no, I can sense all the negative stuff. I can sense all the, this isn't going to work. We're never going to find someone. It's the job is too big. Someone doesn't exist. Um, you know, the, the perfect person isn't going to come along. Um, you know, we can't afford it. Yeah. All the, the, it's a, it's a, it's a massive list of negatives that it's causing stress. Right. So, so you're saying, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you got to realize that those things you're saying, they're your reality, you're creating They're they're, 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 they're non-reality. So for example, you know, you're going to find someone good. It says, hey, you know, I'm going to find someone. I may have to interview a few people and we may have to try someone out, but I'm going to find someone. I mean, the person you had can't be the world's best house right. helper in right. the of world, course. right? Of course. So, I mean, you take, you, you have to take every, you have to take, because you're feeding your mind and you're feeding your mind and that's what's causing the dysfunctional emotions, uh, the stress and anxiety. So, you know, you can't, what people typically do is they, you know, they find an escape, they, you know, chemicals or something eating or whatever to, 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 uh, to kind of put a bandaid on that stress. But then again, once again, you start thinking those things and you start feeling those things again. So you have to change that up. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I recently had a similar experience where I have a an assistant that helps me with my large classes. Well, in the middle of the semester, he was very good. In the middle of the semester, uh, an opportunity came up uh, in his field, computer science, that he just had to take, and I agreed. You know, he had to take. But you know, it takes a lot of training to 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 get an assistant to help with a thousand person class. And I went through the I was really stressed. My stress and anxiety was out the roof the night uh, he contacted me because it was basically I teach class at 830 in the morning. He was talking to me at 1030 that night and he was going to fly out. To, to talk to this company. So it was like, a, this is like an immediate thing. This was happening. Immediate. Right, it was right. major. And so I had to step back and say, okay, let's think this through because this stress is not helping anything. I'm not going to be able to sleep. I'm not going to be able to. So let's stop. And so first of all, I needed help that morning with running my classroom AV and doing all this kind of stuff. And I said, okay, you know, I'm going to use this as a chance in the classroom to uh, let the students help me run the class. So that morning I go in, I say, hey, you know, uh, Raghav is his name, is going to be leaving us. Uh, I need help just today with someone running the computer, running the classroom, maybe someone who has that capability. And, you know, it just really worked out well because I actually had students helping me in the class and they were delighted to help. They wanted to help. And then um, 
you know, that after. And so in the class, I said, look, we're guys leaving. If anyone knows any grad students that might be interested in working for me, let them know. Well, by that afternoon, I had 20 people contacting. Me. Right. And right. it just really what it did is it allowed me to uh, show the class my uh, vulnerability because I yeah, said, look, yeah. I'm really stressed about this. I could really help use your help. So they saw that, you know, that I do have, I, I don't know, some mornings I have, I mean, I have trouble just as they do getting through the day and I have get, I get setbacks. I think it was Mike Tyson that said, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. Exactly. Uh, it shows <laughs> that, you know, we, we have a plan, but we're going to get punched in the face, how you deal with it. And so getting to your point about the house helper and what do you do with this is that it, you know, you have to immediately start changing. And so that whole night, my self-talk became not, oh my gosh, I don't have my assistant anymore. This is going to happen and this is going to happen and all these negative things are going to happen. I had to change my programming to, okay, I don't have an assistant. I need, I'm going to use the class and we're going to figure this out. And I'm going to find someone to help me. And it's going to be as good, if not even better. And, and the truth of the matter is the assistant I have now has unique gifts even beyond what uh, Regov did. And so, you know, it just really it worked out. And so in terms of your house helper, you can spend the next two weeks dressing out and being anxious and and losing sleep. Or you can change the programming that you're programming in your mind to, to, to say it's going to work out. This is what I'm going to do. Okay, we might be out of milk or, you know, things may not be all tidied up the way they normally are in this house. But, you know, it's, it's also going to model to my nine-year-old. And I think you told me you had a nine-year-old son yep, yep. that, you know, life doesn't always work perfectly. Right. And you got to plow through it and figure it out. So I think if anything, it's it's modeling a good thing. Yeah, I think you're right. Does, does, I, I think you're right. I mean, I, yeah, no, no, it's totally. I mean, I, cause I, I just think um, it's really valuable to hear what your process is for um, for pulling yourself out of those things. And then because I, I think you have a lot of experience in, in, the, in these things. And, um, I just wanted to bring up a real example of something that was, um, you know, on my mind and stressing me out. So, um, thank you. Or, or, and let me share again to you, ties into your bigger question of, of, of actually modeling it. Um, you know, I'm a runner and I run, I've run since I was about 14 years old. I've run distances up to 44, 45 miles. Uh, and I've run in a number of marathons and running is a big part of what I do. And, uh, for a, a long time in my classes, when I've taught about, talked about self-leadership is in terms of achieving goals. One of the things is, is, is breaking the goals up into small chunks. So if you're going to run a marathon, don't say, man, I'm running 26 miles today, break it up into four 10 Ks plus a little extra because yep. mentally you can deal with a lot extra. I mean, that's, that's not rocket science, right? But, but in terms of actually practicing it, you know, I've, I've, uh, over the last couple of years, I've had some running injuries that have sidetracked me and I've learned that, okay, I may not be able to run eight miles in one pop or 10 miles in one pop, like I used to do in terms of a general day. And so now what I, what I do is now I break it up in the morning. I'll run three miles at lunch. I run three miles and then late in the evening, I'll run three or a little bit more. And at the end of the day, I still have my 10 miles. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, 
I fought it at first. So, you know, I got injured and I went, man, and it really depressed me. And he's like, God, I can't run the way I used to or run the distance I used to. Part of it's age. And but part of it was being injured and just having to deal with my reality. And I was going through a part a, a time of anxiety and stress. And, and frankly, I'd say some short term depression because exercise is a big part of my life. And then when I just realized that, hey, you know, I can still break it up. I may not run as fast as I used to, but I can still. But if I break it up, it actually makes me more energetic throughout the day rather than if I ran it all at one shot in the morning and I was energetic up till about lunchtime. But then I crashed. It, it gives me those brief periods of exercise that really energizes my whole day. Mm-hmm. And so that's once again is actually applying self-leadership to my own life. Right. To where I'm actually a better person because of it, because I'm probably going to be able to run more injury free in the longer term because I've learned to break up my workouts. Right. And so it just it just fits. It, you know, it fits what I do. Not only do I teach it, not only do I share it with my kids, not only do I share the knowledge with my wife, but I also have practiced it to my uh, own life. Well, I was that's my next question. It's a good lead into my next part is what are some of the things that you do on a daily basis to take care of yourself? Like, do you have a morning routine? Do you have things in your schedule that you just don't miss things like specific things that you do to keep you, um, your life and your schedule and your work and your family life on track? Uh, You know, I, I do now when I say, um, I think, I believe in the the in terms of research, and I believe in what research says about what works. Uh, for example, if you read in the journal of of the the journal uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, and it says, you know, this particular drug helps reduce uh, oste- uh, cancer in certain people, or in this group of patients. Well. For, that's looking at groups of people. It may not work for you if you have cancer. My point of the story is is that uh, what works for Chris Neck may not work for someone else. You got to figure it out. You got to trial and experiment. And so, yes, there are things that I need to do to be Chris Neck, to be the best uh, teach, the best husband, the best father, the best teacher, professor I can be. And I do these things not because I want to live to be 120. If that happens, that's great. But if not, I do these things because I don't want to waste my days being half alert or tired when I have control over it. And so what I do is over years and years of experiment, what works for me. And I used to think that in order to feel really good, and I define really good as being energetic, being alert, feeling like I can tackle the world. Uh, I used to think that equation was composed of 90% uh, exercise and 10% diet. So I used to exercise a whole lot more than what I do now, but I used to eat much differently. Uh, I grew up in the South where everything was fried and Mm -hmm. butter and meat and this and that. And if you like that stuff, that's great. If that makes you feel good, all the power to you. But for me, what I've learned is that I had the equation all wrong. Uh, the equation really for me is 90% diet and 10% exercise. <laughs> so what does that mean? Is every day I try to do some type of exercise. Some day that might be uh, 
uh, and in a large part of that is cardio related, but some days that might be 20 minutes. Other days it might be two hours. It really depends on, you know, what my schedule allows and, and my feeling of what I need to do. Do you to have clear a, my a certain pattern of like, you get up at, like you said, you got up at four o'clock in the morning. I the do other day. the typical, the typical, the typical most days I get up really early. Um, sometimes that could be three thirty or four in the morning. Uh, and I'll run two or three miles on the treadmill and then one warm down for a mile. And then, uh, I'll do, uh, stretching with a foam roller and some push-ups and sit-ups just enough to, to feel like, uh, uh, I'm getting some, some, some upper body type workout, but I really spend a lot of time on the foam roller working my hamstrings, my calves, uh, because I find if I do that, I can stay injury free with mm -hmm. running. Uh, and in more lately, my back and neck area that the foam rollers help with that. And, but, but I really work hard, my hamstrings and calves. So I do that, uh, shower and bring my kids to school and then I'm off usually. And then I'm back at the university teaching early in the morning and I, and then I, and, and then what I try to do is at well, so lunchtime. Now, hold, just to hold on a second. So if you're up at 3.30 or 4, you're done working out by 5. Um, are your kids getting up that early? Like what else? No. What else uh, so I'm done. Actually, I'm done 5, shower, shave. So usually wake my kids up around 6. Yep. Uh, so that they can start their day. And uh, my, wife, uh, my wife goes to bed later. And so I've typically have always been the one early to get up. When, when do you when do you go to bed? Considering you get up so early, uh, I get up at three three or excuse me three thirty four. So I go to bed about two. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I try to get uh, at least five hours of sleep, five okay. to six hours of sleep. I now ideally um, uh, seven is is good, but six. Six is a good number. If I get less than five, I feel it, and I have to take a nap in the day. Uh -huh. uh, but you know, it's like everyone's different. Like my wife, she really needs a good nine hours. Yeah, right, right. Otherwise, she's feeling groggy. And you know, I, I know other people. Some people need three. Other people need twelve. I really yeah. believe the amount of sleep you need is an individual thing, and you got to find it. But I do. If I get less than five, I'm getting a twenty-minute power nap right. in the afternoon. Right. I have to. You know, I feel it. And so, you're, so in bed then, by, you're in bed by 9.30 or so, right? I mean, 9.30 or 10. Uh, 9, uh, 9.30 or, or 10. Uh, now, this is – I'm giving you my schedule. That is on a uh, Sunday night, a Tuesday night, and a Thursday night because oh. I teach early on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Got it. On Got Tuesday it. and Thursdays typically are devoted to writing and research. Ah, okay. Uh, I do a very similar schedule except um, – I, I get extra on those nights I'm getting, I sleep until six, uh, because I'm going to bed a little bit later because I'm so wired in, in, in the adrenaline rush of teaching hmm. through the day is that I use those nights. That's when I get a lot of, uh, riding done because I'm just like, man, I'm fired up. I'm, I'm running on an endorphin rush. Right. Right. And so I typically go to bed a little later. Usually it's probably around 12 or one. And then I'm getting up at six. So you're still and then getting get your kids, five or six hours. In. I'm still getting my five or six hours and then I'm right. getting the kids to school. But instead of going to the university to teach on those, on those two days, I go back to my home office and I write and research all day long, gotcha, all day gotcha. long. 
But as soon as I get home after – I say all day long. After I drop the kids off, then I get my, my morning run in. Then I immediately start riding and running. Lunchtime comes. I get a two or three miler in. I'm riding um, uh, the, up the rest of the day up until the evening uh, until uh, it's time for dinner and kids and family time. And then uh, later in the evening, I get another two or three miles in. And typically, you know, there's more riding to done after that. But there's there's usually two to three periods in the day where I'm getting exercise in hmm. because that some people say, man, it must be nice to have that time. What they don't realize is I don't have a choice. It gives me more time to have those, you know, uh, 30 minute to hour periods of exercise uh, throughout the day than if I if I didn't do it. Is it because you feel more productive? You are more productive. You're more energetic. Exactly. Exactly. I'm more energetic. I'm much more productive. I get a lot more done in the the limited amount of time that I have. So, you know, if I take away the stretching and really the morning time is the only time I'm really getting the the key stretching in, uh, is that you're looking at a period of 30 minutes to an hour of exercise. So within any day, you're looking at anywhere from an hour and a half to, you know, three hours of some type of exercise, uh, mixed with within the day that I just have to do. And, and so that's the exercise part. Now, the other whole part is diet. You know, I, I, in, in, I keep it simple, uh, in terms of diet in, there's a couple of rules that I have is that, um, I, to eat by the, I don't eat by the clock. I eat when I'm hungry. I don't eat for social reasons. So if your feelings are going to get hurt because I'm not eating birthday cake on your birthday, then that's your problem. That's not my problem. Right, right. Uh, because what I put into my body is no one else's business uh, because I got to take care of my body. I got to take responsibility for it. And if on a Friday night, if I'm going to dinner with people, with my wife, and we're going to dinner with people, yeah, if I'm not hungry, I'm not just going to order an entree to make, you know, because, right, right. Uh, you know, I just don't do that. I eat yeah. when I'm hungry and I eat, I try to eat simple. Most of what I eat is, is raw. And I was doing that before it became popular. Um, I eat a lot of produce, a lot of nuts. Most, I eat no meat at all of any mm. type because it just doesn't work with me. Yep. Uh, the bulk of my diet is, is produce beans, nuts, um, those kind of things. And most of that is, is raw. Uh, now I do have a vice and I have my, I do have a vice in that, um, especially sometimes, especially in the heat of Arizona when it's hot, if I'm running outside or in my treadmill room where there's no air conditioning and I've just completely depleted, uh, I do drink occasion, an occasional diet Mountain Dew. That is my vice. I do like that. Now I'm, I don't try. I try to not drink too much caffeine, and I'm not a coffee guy. But I do like my diet Mountain Dew, and I eat a limited amount of dairy. But occasionally, as a reward, I do like um, Dairy Queen soft serve ice wow. cream. So wow. I, you know, I am a man of vices. So there we go. There we go. But how did you get on the raw? That, that's that's really, really curious to me. How did you get on the raw thing? Like that's not an you, easy way. Um, does your do your kids eat raw? Does your wife eat raw? No, no, oh, absolutely not. And I don't push it on the family, but it does kind of, you know, you do kind of uh, gravitate towards the mean, and and so you know, my my wife learned early on that I kind of have to fend for myself, uh, and and. 
but typically, even if you look at what my wife prepares or I, you know, I, I cook a lot a good bit as well for the family is that, you know, it is healthy. It's produce based. It's, it's, you know, lean meats for them and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, uh, and, and I just see my, you know, my kids do eat probably more produce than the average family just because probably we have it and I have it. Um, uh, and I've gravitated towards, um, uh, you know, I, I occasionally will eat dairy and that's with the, you know, the once a month dairy queen kind of ice cream cone or something. But, Primarily, I don't eat a whole lot of dairy either. And, and, you know, I gravitated towards the raw just over time, just realizing when I eat these things, I feel better Hmm. when I eat, you know, and I'm not hardcore raw. I'm just saying, you know, if I'm going to eat produce, I typically light it more raw than than cooked or sauteed in something. You know what I mean? So it was just something that I naturally gravitated to. But when I'm eating clean and I define clean as eating the way that I want to eat, heavy produce-based, nut-based diet, not a lot of refined carbs and not a lot of, of um, uh, dairy, I feel lighter. I feel lighter meaning energetic, more energetic. I think more clearly. Mm-hmm. And I also go through periods of fasting where I'll go through a 24-hour period of – and sometimes even longer, maybe 36 hours of where – I'm just drinking water and um, I don't do that a whole lot. But whenever I start going through a period where I'm feeling sluggish or maybe my diet hasn't been where I want it to be, uh, because naturally I do I do tend to crave uh, a lot of carbs. Uh, and, you know, there are times where maybe I'm eating more, even though it's 100 percent whole wheat, I may be eating a little bit too much carbs and I'm feeling a little sluggish. I think my body needs it. And um I also, when I'm teaching, I try I try to teach on an empty stomach because I find I'm better. I'm not weighted down, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't eat I don't eat breakfast before I, I, I teach on those teaching days, uh, or if I do eat something, it's pretty light or something, you know, uh, maybe a protein bar or something that's just not too heavy. Uh, but it works for me, you know. It, it it's 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 pretty hard to stick to. I would say if you know if you if you're into dining for social reasons reasons if you're you know a foodie type person but you know I eat for fuel I really do I I, I don't I don't and I try to eat for that reason um, now the things that I eat I do enjoy you know I mean I do enjoy nuts and I enjoy produce it's not like I'm depriving myself of anything but it works for me and I, and, I, and I think the advice to your listeners Andy is that. Try to experiment. Try to see how you feel with eating certain things, um, and 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 oh, and see if you start seeing a pattern. And I think you know, to me, it's not a deprivation thing. The cost of eating something that I know that doesn't work for me uh, is greater than the benefit of the enjoyment of eating. You know, say say a, a chocolate chip cookie or a piece of cake. Well, yeah, of course I would probably like the way it tastes or it would be fun eating, but the cost, the way I'm going to feel to do that doesn't, doesn't, um, it or exceeds the benefit. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's with anything that you're going to do. If you're going to stick to anything, you got to see that the, the cost of doing it or not doing it is, um, 
is greater than, or excuse me, the benefit of doing it or not doing it is greater than the cost of doing it or not doing it. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're not going to follow the plan. Do you keep and track me, of all this stuff? Like, do you keep track? Do you have a schedule? Do you have a, I mean, I'm, I'm, you do have a schedule, but do you have a journal that you keep? Do you keep it electronically? Do you not write it down and keep it? Or what, how do you, you know, you know, Andy, I, I like to simplify things. I'm really big on simplifications. In my younger days, say, for example, running, I used to write down the time of day I ran, how many miles, the temperature, mm-hmm. what I ate before. And, and, you know, what I found is it just became more of a stressor to, right, to have right. to do all that. And so, no, I don't. You know, I, I'm really low tech with, with both my exercise. I don't wear a heart rate monitor and I'm not hooked up to 50 different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know what my heart rate is because I know my body really well. And right. I know because I've worked out for so long. But in terms of diet, no, I don't keep track. Now I do, you know, maybe once a month, um, I'll, uh, I'll weigh myself to kind of just kind of see, hey, you know, where am I in terms of weight? Or, you know, I'll take my, my pulse just to kind of get an idea. But, but I find that for me, I, I grew up in a uh, – I think I have what you call the addict gene. And I don't yeah. know how your listeners out there, if you can relate. Well, that's, that's but what I mean common. by – I think all of us have some sort of addict gene yeah. in us. Well, because <laughs> if you look at the history of my family, uh, we've had some negative uh, – we, we have the addict gene in, in – you know, some of some of us fathers, grandfathers, mothers, whatever. You know, there were there were behaviors that needed to be corrected. Uh, for example, alcoholism or smoking or whatever. And I learned, and I tell my kids this. I say, look, you know, you can make the choice of whether you want to drink or not drink, or do drugs or not do drugs. You're going to have to make that choice at some point in time in your life. You're going to be an adult, but realize in our family, it's really hard to do things halfway. You're either go all the way or not, and so. You know, I, I decided to channel that in terms of diet and exercise because I think if probably I was a drinker, I'd probably be talking to you and your audience right now under the influence. <laughs> uh, just it's, and, I, and, and I'm not. And so I've had to learn how to channel that addiction, but in a positive way. Right, you know, like right. I said, you know, at times I've had to curl, curtail my, my exercise because it maybe was too much. It was leading to injury. It was doing mm-hmm. other things. And so in terms of, of my diet, you know, where the propensity may be, all right, weigh yourself every day, take these detailed journals and records. But I just realized part of my self-leadership behavior was saying, you know, that is not a good thing. That is not helping me it's not moving to be you, that not moving rigid. you forward. Right. No, it's not moving me forward. Well, it's, right. I'll give you another example. It's kind of, I used to have a goal in my younger age and it stopped at 42 or 44 uh, I said earlier, the longest I've ever run was 44 miles, 45 miles. And really the, the actual number is 44. And this is why is because er, in my twenties and thirties, I set a goal for myself that every year on my birthday, I was going to run my, the distance of hmm. my age yep. in miles. Yep. So at 22, I was going to run 22 miles. Right, 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 at right, right. 39. And I did that every year, but I remember my 44th birthday, it was not fun. I was drudging it like, yeah, I'd rather be with my family today instead of running these miles. Yep. And then immediately when it was over, I was stressing out for the 45th year thinking, oh, right, man. right. And, Here and, it comes. <laughs> so about two, we- about two weeks after that, I just looked back talking about looking at the apple, so to speak. I said, you know, this is not a good goal. This is not making me a better husband, uh, right. Uh, right. married father, teacher. 
it's taking too much of my energy just thinking about it. So I stopped it. Didn't do it again. That's cool that you were able to – yeah, that's cool that you were able to see that and then change. You know, I mean that's quite quite the streak that you had going for, what, 20 years? Yeah, and it was a good streak. But getting back to what I said earlier – I saw these, I was feeling these negative emotions yeah, right. that I didn't like. Right. And I wanted to take control of them. And as soon as I took that goal away and I said, okay, this is not a good thing. And then I also had to let go of the ego right. that, oh man, I'm letting go of this streak or the addict part of me saying, you really need to stick to this. All yep. the, you, yep. know, you have all these negative self-talk coming at you and you're letting the ego talk. I let it go. Man, I was a much better and happier person. And so it's, 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 it's self-leadership. Every day. I had a goal um, a year before I turned 50, which I haven't turned 50 yet. So this was this year. This is, wow, this is recent. I turned 50 uh, very soon. <laughs> uh, next month, as a matter of fact. And I, I was talking to my, uh, I, was, I still teach a class at CrossFit Los Angeles. And I was talking to my class and I was like, God, I'm thinking about what my goal is going to be. And I, I said, the, you know, the one thing that I, I have not done successfully in terms of kind of athletics and whatnot is, is make it to run a 50 miler. I've run, I, I entered a 50 miler once and I didn't, but I didn't, didn't properly prepare for it. And at miles 46, I had to, I was the last guy on the course. They were closing down the course and they pulled me off. Oh the course. no. Yeah. They were, they pulled no. me off the course and I was kind of injured. I was limping and walking. And so I didn't, I didn't make it. And I thought, wow, that'd be a pretty cool thing on my 50th birthday to run 50 miles. Well, I, I sat with it. There were, there were a few people at the gym that were like, yeah, I'll do that with you. That sounds great. You know, we'll, we'll train for it and we'll, 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 we'll find one. There's a, there's one up in San Francisco. Uh, North Face has this extreme, um, race challenge and, um, they, we picked out the date and as, as it came time for me to put my name down and actually pay the money to register, I started feeling this. I very similar to your experience. I started feeling this stress and I started feeling like, God, okay, let's see if I'm going to run 50 miles, that means I actually have to train. That means I have to, I mean, I don't have to, but you know, or run the risk of being injured for a year. You know, I, I might make it more or, or might, or go up and not make it, you know? Um, yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, I, I just, I started thinking about my weekends and, how do I want to spend my time on my weekends? You know, do I want to do a four hour run or a five hour run or, you know, multiple times during the week doing 10 milers. And I, you know, I just was like, I don't think so. Like, that's not just not, that's just not a good goal for me. <laughs> no, well, you know, you know, Andy, it, it reminds me of the quote, uh, Joseph Campbell, he wrote the power of myth and he yeah. said something to the effect to climb the ladder of success only to realize that the ladder was propped up against the wrong wall. Right, I think right. what you did shows one of the highest levels of self-leadership is to be able to before – because the, actually the easy thing to do would be to sign – you know, whatever your goal is, big goal, oh, just sign up for it because the ego is kicking in. Yep. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But to actually think it through and say, you know, is this really where I want to prop my ladder against? Yeah, that's a great – That I love takes that. to me a lot of maturity and wisdom – and uh, to me, you illustrated that greatly because for a lot of people, they would sign up for the goal, do it, and then halfway in kind of go, you know, I really don't want to be training or they injure themselves right. or 
they actually do it. And then after they do it, they're depressed because right. they go, all right, so what? Right. Um, right. And so to me, I, I applaud you. That is, the, you know, to examine a goal before you do it or even, you know, like in my situations uh, in the midstream of it to say, you know, this, this is just not working, yep. whatever yep. it might be, whether it's, you know, starting a business, you know, you know, because I think part of the problem is we have this myth in society is that quitting is a bad thing. Right. Quitting right. is a bad thing. Well, if, and if you and, look and at I, it in terms of quitting, then yes, you're you, you like, that's an easy way to get down on yourself, you know, but um, yeah, exactly. I didn't, I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it like as, as an opportunity to open up those hours of the day that I hadn't even spent yet doing other stuff. You know, rather yeah, exactly. Than and that's exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I say. Quitting is defined. Let's view it a little bit differently. Quitting, you know, it opens up all this time. You didn't waste all these hours of resources because right. you said, hey, I was going to do this. And, uh, you know, that's easy when you apply it to, you know, do I go to Subway or do I go to uh, super salad for lunch? But, you know, to say, no, I made a decision, I'm going to stick with it. But when you're talking about something like training for a 50 mile run, the, the consequences are much bigger. Right. right. And, uh, I think it, I think in also too, I mean, also, uh, also once again, that's something we talked about earlier with your house helper, you're modeling, uh, effective self-leadership to your, to your son by doing that saying, you know, this is not, I said I was going to do this. I've re-examined. Let me go a different route. That, that's self-leadership. I need to put you in my next book, Andy. <laughs> well, there, sure. I'd be happy to be in your next book. Um, I got one more question for you, and this is um, um, not in – well, whatever. I'm not going to – I'm not going to um, pre-whatever pre it was I was about to do. <laughs> Pre-categorize the question. Um what when it comes to reading books i'm sure you've read a lot of books i'm sure you recommend a lot of books to to people what, are there are there some books on the topic of self management self leadership self um um you know actualization that that you would recommend that you've you've seen um, make a difference to you in your life or the difference to the lives of your students like is there are there two or three or one or other and other than your own books, of course, you know, your own writing, but just talking about other, well, other books that you, yeah, I mean, that's, that's hard. You know, that's like seeing, you know, of your daughter and son, who do you like the best? Um, <laughs> uh, wow. I didn't, I, mean, I didn't, yeah, well, I didn't look at all, it. That's that hard. Wow. That's well, a no, tough for, one. Yeah, no, it's, it's not that, hard. but first of all, you have to understand I am a bookaholic. And so, you know, when, when, when Amazon came out in 1996 or seven or whatever it was, I, you know, they, they probably love me. I, you know, cause and now that, you know, cause I've got so many books, it's so easy to order. Do, do you, know, you read on the books. Kindle or do you read, uh, do you buy the hard books? You know, I'm old school. I like, um, I like holding a yep, book, yep. turning the pages. Uh, I just do, you know, and I just, um, and for me, it's a good uh, uh, multitasking prevention tool. Right. And, and right. that's another thing. My This is a tangent, but my students fight because we, we talk about part of self-leadership is not multitasking. Yep. Because if you, ask, if you ask all of my students, hey, who's a good multitasker? They all raise their hands. They think they can do it. But, you know, if you look at the science of multitasking, really no one is a good multitasking. Yep. You hurt. You yep. hurt yourself by multitasking in terms of performance on the different tasks you're doing. And so 
for me, if I don't have the computer or the Kindle or the phone, you know, there's, there's another less distraction. I don't have a text coming in or email or whatever, but even with the Kindle, uh, I have to worry that it's charged or whatever. I, I just like the book, but anyway, you know, to answer your question is I'm, I'm a avid reader and I, what I really try to do with reading is to read things out of my area because I spend so much time reading huh. about leadership and yep, self-leadership yep. in the academic journals. And, and part of the reason, let me, for your audience, is separate, you know, a lot of what I talk about in self, my self-leadership books are things that I've researched in studies. And someone may read and go, oh, well, I've seen this there in another book. Well, the difference is I've actually researched it and studied it. And so it's not just something I thought in the shower. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so it, there's a science to it. You know, there, the, my book is basically my peer reviewed scientific journal research articles that have been, you know, uh, recrafted for a, an audience uh, that aren't graduate students or, yeah. or other professors. And, and so. It, but but I, I also think they they they're written such that um, they're engaging and I think people value. But but anyway, I, I guess what I'm saying is by taking that approach of trying to read things outside of my area, I think it, it makes me a better professor and and better researcher for that matter. Because you know it, I remember it with a lot of the writings and, and of Stephen Jobs, uh, you know the Apple founder, CEO, you know, he always said, you know, I remember when he was talking about the Mac and he said, uh, well, he said when he was in college, he just, he took a calligraphy course just to mm -hmm. take it for the fun of it. Yep. And later he found out that that was, you know, that really helped him when he was doing the fonts yep. for the, for the first Mac. And he, you know, he said genius is something about taking two completely different areas and seeing overlaps. And I'm paraphrasing what he said. But, you know, I find when I bring in things from science or music or sports or biology, whatever, into my management class to make points, people understand them better because, you know, you're drawing parallels between, uh, let's say, the, the life of a, of, a, of a lobster when you're talking about motivation. You know, for example, I recently read somewhere – uh, and I can't remember in what I was reading, but it was talking about marine biology and it was talking about lobsters that if lobsters, if they get, uh, if they get washed onto the, uh, the surf of the ocean, they don't go back in unless they get washed back in. They just sit there and die. Really? Wow. Uh, same thing with starfish. Now I, ha I haven't proven the validity of these statements, but these, these were nonfiction books. So I, mm -hmm. I'm assuming they, they knew what they were talking about, but I use that analogy as that same we're talking about motivation. You know, sometimes we need a push and sometimes you yep. being a leader with other people, you're going to change lives. Otherwise, they're stagnant. And so you, you can see how that reading helped me. So I try to read a lot of different things. But if I had to pick some books that have influenced and changed my life uh, just off the top of my head, uh, I would have to say, and I'm sure you've read this if you haven't, you other people have talked about it would be Viktor Frankl's in Man's Search of Meaning oh, about his experiences yeah, in, is, is in concentration camps. Just a profound impact on me. Another book, it was a fun book. It was a metaphorical type book. It was a book called The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by a guy named Dan Millman. Mm -hmm. uh, another book that really you know hit home and, and hit me 
And then when you're talking, if you're, some of your readers are thinking about relationships and improving their relationships, this was a novel, a love story that I read that I often go back to um, that, that's helped me in my relationship with my wife is uh, a book called Bridge Across Forever for, by Richard Bach. He wrote the book Jonathan Livingston Seagull. But he also wrote a number of love stories. But the one that really impacted me was a, a Bridge Across Forever. Hmm. And then finally, nonfiction stuff that, that had a, a profound re, uh, impact on, on my relationships or my relationship with my wife was the uh, seminal book from, I think, the the 80s, maybe the 90s, I can't remember. But it was the guy by John Gray, uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Oh, yeah. Really, right, right, right. Boy, yeah, that's really classic. stood out. Right. All classic stuff. Uh, and then some more self-help type books, anything by uh, – and this is old school. Uh, but uh, any uh, any book by Harvey McKay. He wrote Swim With The Sharks Without Getting Eaten Alive, Dig Your Well Before You Get Thirsty. Mm-hmm. I just eat up his stuff and I reread his stuff because they're really short, you know, like two page chapters and uh, give me good reminders. But any of your reader listeners out there, um, you know, I could give you a hundred books that I just think really no, that's are a good. good books. That's great. That was, that was really all I was looking for. Some of the things that, that came to mind that have been influential in your life that are kind of go to's. Um, yeah. Now the- you talk about books. If you talk about some, take it to a different medium, uh, Two movies that have really uh, impacted my life is uh, one is Dead Poets Society. That's yeah. an older movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I have. Yeah, I have. With Robin Williams and uh, the Shawshank Redemption. Those are two movies I watch over and over again. I'm not a guy that rereads books a lot or rewatches movies a lot, but those are are two movies that I are go tos for me that I uh, for some reason inspire and make me think. Chris, thank you so much for spending this time. I I uh, really appreciate it. And it's it. over already, man. We got It's over already. Just We're... getting started. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, you I know, always I always run the risk of these being too long. Like sometimes I go back I in the studio and I re I edit them and I cut them down because I'm I'm a, I'm afraid of losing people. We I meander. I tend to meander on things. So I know I know. Um, and, and my only my only concern is 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 being an observer of my podcast is sometimes it's hard to get, go from the academic uh, stage to the practical stage. And, yep. you know, I just hope I didn't come across as too academic. But to all your listeners, you know, my last name is Neck, N-E-C-K. There's, oh, I'm a professor at Arizona State University. There's only one of one neck at ASU, and you can give them my you can <laughs> and it's well, not no, broken. Is, you, you know, it's not broken. Yeah, and you can give them my website address. I you know if there's any questions or if they want to reach out to me. Personally, yeah, so it's Chris Neck uh, Chris ChrisNeck.com, right? Is your website ChrisNeck.com? That's it. And uh, I love to talk to them. I'll you know be talking to them, maybe talking to you when I'm on the treadmill or the exercise bike or. Cool. Or walking down the street, or on the on Camelback Mountain, but I, I will talk, and I, I would love to uh, to talk to anyone out there. And and I also want to thank you for giving me the opportunity. You have thousands of people to pick and choose to be on your podcast, and you so kindly thought, hey, there was something unique and interesting about Chris Neck, and uh, that's a gift, Andy. So there, you know, re- yeah, there do? really is. I mean, I I really love the way you touch the world, and I love the the work that you're doing with with the uh, the young ge- younger generation, the millennials, and um, you know, there's a reason that you've been um, 
you've received the accolades you've had, you have as a professor. So I really appreciate your, your line of work and, and specifically how you do it because, um, we need, the world needs more of Chris next. Well, you are nice. But when I said as a gift, it's not me as a gift is your podcast and what you're doing and your skill set is a gift and, and inviting me, uh, is, is really a privilege. And, uh, I, you know, uh, anything I can do to assist you or your listeners say the word, let me know. And that, I don't say that like, let's do lunch. I, I really right, want to, right. that's, uh, that's, that's why I'm here. So well, yeah, cause, you, cause if I, you're not hungry, you're not going to eat. Right. Man, I already know that I'm going to invite you out and you're going to be like, yeah, sorry, Andy, I'm not hungry today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, I'll get a diet Mountain Dew and we'll talk. Exactly. Uh, you know, but all right, cool. If, uh, well, thank, anyway, thank, thank you thanks again. Much. And, um, well, I'm sure we'll be in touch soon. Absolutely. Andy. And thank you for your time. And I'm here if you need me. All right. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Oh, yeah. The Whole Life Podcast is produced by our podcast team, Winslow Jenkins, Becca Borowski, and Ernie Hurtado. You can find all of our episodes, links, and complete show notes at wholelifechallenge.com forward slash podcast. The way that I've found is the best way to listen to podcasts is to subscribe so that episodes automatically get delivered right to your mobile device. You can do that in any podcast app on your phone. And hey, if you like the podcast, please do me a favor. Go to iTunes and give it a five-star rating and recommend it to your friends. I'm Andy Petronic, and thanks so much for listening.